Most of you um, probably have heard that Yiddish proverb that humans plan and God laughs. So I've been looking forward to this uh, for a long time, uh, ever since um, Rabbi Bernstein invited me to speak this evening. And I wrote this sermon that I've been looking forward to giving tonight. And, um, and when you hear it, you'll understand the irony of the whole evening. Uh, many of you know that uh, three nights ago we had a fire in our home, and uh, we're now living in a hotel, a little vagabond-ish. Um, and um, nobody was hurt. Everything is fine. It's just, you know, some blackened walls and floors and you can't breathe in there. But other than that, it's really <laughs> delightful. Um, but this will tell you what it means to be a rabbi. I was uh, at, uh, actually, Michael Schwartz's house that night. We have a men's group. I was there at the men's group, and uh, the phone was incessantly ringing, and I kept looking at it and going, no, I don't know who it is. I'm not interrupting it. After the fifth time, I decided it might be important, so I excused myself and picked it up, and it was my wife, a little hysterical, with a borrowed phone because she was standing out in front of our building in her bare feet while the two fire departments were there putting out the fire. And so she told me there's a fire and it's okay, but you have to come home now. So I run out of the meeting, I jump in my car, I'm flying home, and knowing that Didi was okay, my first thought was, oh my God, I hope my sermon didn't burn up. My sermon and my computer, if it burned up, what am I going to do? I'll have to write another one all over again somehow in the next two days. It's the sickness of being a rabbi. But, you know, perfect for high holiday themes. Who shall live and who shall die, who by fire and who by water were about to read. And uh, so it's never struck home more powerfully than to us in the last couple of days. But I really wanted to give this sermon, so I'm going to give this sermon anyway. So here it is. Okay. Former Iranian President Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, or as my wife likes to call him, Ahmi Pajamabad, calls President Obama and tells him, Barack, I had a wonderful dream last night. I could see Washington, D.C., and draped across the White House, I saw a big, big banner. What did it say on the banner, Obama asks. Mahmoud replies, the United States of Iran. Obama says, you know, Mahmoud, I'm really glad you called because, believe it or not, last night I had a very similar dream. I could see all of Tehran, and on each house I also saw an enormous banner. Mahmoud asks, so, so what did it say on the banners? And Obama replies, I don't know. I can't read Hebrew. <laughs> and that's all I'm going to say about Iran tonight. <clears throat> so here comes the irony. You know that uh, famous Chinese proverb, may you live in interesting times which, by the way, turns out not to be Chinese at all, but that's for another sermon. Well, that's pretty much been my story for the past year. Interesting times. 
even more interesting this week, but without the constant 24-7 schedule of the senior rabbi life that I left behind, there's been a lot of time for contemplation. So I thought I would share with you some of the personal revelations that I have discovered this past year, and ultimately the most important lessons I've learned really about myself as well. So first, a story. Some years ago, the Archbishop of Canterbury was rushing to catch a train to London, and in his haste, he accidentally jumped on the wrong passenger car and found himself in a car full of inmates from a mental hospital. They were, of course, all dressed in that same drab mental institutional clothing and sort of slowly milling around the car. And just as the train pulled out of the station, an orderly came in and began to count the inmates. One, two, three, four. When suddenly he looked up and saw this distinguished-looking gentleman standing there wearing a, a finely cut business suit with a clerical collar. Surprised, he said, who are you? And, of course, the archbishop responded, I'm the archbishop of Canterbury. <laughs> so the orderly said, five, six, seven. <laughs> well, sadly, the archbishop and I had a lot in common this year. It's the humility that comes with discovering one of the most important lessons I've learned since my retirement, namely... I'm no better and certainly no smarter than anyone else who has gone through this kind of life transition. It's been hard to admit, but frankly, it's not easy letting go. It's not easy not being the me that I have been for so many years. I'm reminded of that famous story of the actor Gregory Peck, who was once standing in a line at a restaurant with a friend, and there was this really really long wait. And his friend, being impatient, said, why don't you tell the maitre d' who you are? At which point Gregory Peck, of course, said, if you have to tell them who you are, then you aren't. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. I love being who I am. It's just that sometimes these days, I'm not 100% sure exactly who that is. I started this men in transition group this year that I mentioned at KI with a a dozen or so other men, to help me better articulate these issues of transition and retirement, and we've been meeting once a month. So guess what? It's pretty much the same experience for everyone, whether you're a rabbi or worked for a film studio or ran a multi-million dollar company. It's not easy letting go and finding the new you. Turns out that no matter who you are, there's a certain disconcerting sense of what I would call dislocation. The annoying feeling that something is missing. It's like that, that insecure feeling you get just as you step off a high curb and your foot hasn't quite touched the ground yet. You are what my Yiddish-speaking grandfather would have called nishtahir nishtahin, neither here nor there. Albert Einstein once said, I must be willing to give up what I am in order to become what I'm going to be. Not as easy as it sounds, especially when you really like who you are, or at least who you have been for a very, very long time, and you aren't exactly sure what's supposed to come next. So to be perfectly honest, in my case, I've done a lot of hiding this past year, although Didi and I officially called it traveling. 
three weeks driving through Ireland, followed by a week in London, and three more weeks driving across the United States, followed by time in New York and Boston and Florida, a month in Costa Rica, a couple of weeks in Israel at a seminar, another month in Costa Rica, and oh yes, the grand finale was a 51-day cruise from Sydney, Australia, to Southampton, England. Hiding for sure. (laughs) Still amazing experiences, and we loved tuning in to Friday night services online via the live sanctuary camera from just about everywhere in the world. And, of course, videoing Torah minutes from exotic places as well. Now, my conscious intention was to stay out of Rabbi Bernstein's hair and to give her and Rabbi Renner this year to establish their partnership with you and you, the congregation, to have the time to embrace her as your new senior rabbi, together with the whole KI clergy team. Well, at least that's what I told myself, and it was true, but what was also true was that on some level I was avoiding confronting uh, that profound sense of dislocation. I I would walk into KI and feel just a little like I was trespassing, like I wasn't exactly sure where I belonged, not what I expected at all, and certainly not because of anything that Rabbi Bernstein did. Indeed, one of the great truths that I have learned through my years as a rabbi is that though none of us are responsible for our births, all of us are responsible for our lives. Life is about making choices every single day. And the quality of our lives is fundamentally a reflection of the quality of those choices. And this is certainly what I have chosen. Letting go of the safe and comfortable role I had as senior rabbi for almost three decades was in many ways a leap of faith. I don't regret it for a moment because I've also learned another profound lesson this year. Sometimes in life, the only safe thing to do is to take a chance. Sometimes the only safe thing to do is to take a chance. Letting go of the reins at KI handing the congregation over to the rabbis and the cantor. That wasn't the taking a chance part. That was the sure thing. Taking a chance was having enough faith really in myself to believe that I would discover the passions that would give renewed meaning and purpose to my own life at this stage of personal transition. And gratefully, I have. So what's the new version of me that I have discovered this year? Part of it was simply remembering the things I have always been passionate about, but with all the responsibilities involved in my previous job, never had enough time to pursue. For example, I'm now playing drums once again in a band every Tuesday night and loving it. The band even plays a jazz service once a month at Temple Isaiah. And the new version of me is also turning my focus out once again to the larger Jewish community. I've created a project called Home Shalom in partnership with Jewish Family Service and the Board of Rabbis, whose goal is to get every synagogue in America to declare itself a safe sanctuary from domestic violence and raise awareness about the tragic reality of domestic violence in the Jewish community. Believe it or not, intimate partner violence is the leading cause of injury to women in America. As adults, at least one out of every four will experience some version of it in their lives, and one in three teens experiences physical, sexual, emotional, or verbal abuse from a dating partner. 
And devastatingly, whether adult or teen, most victims tell no one. Three to five million children witness some form of domestic violence every single year in America. Just imagine the trauma, the trauma they internalize in their young lives. And we, frankly, in the Jewish community, are sadly just as susceptible as any other religious or ethnic group in America. October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and at Rabbi Bernstein's invitation, I will be speaking about Home Shalom and the realities of domestic violence in the Jewish community on Friday night, October 16th. You're all invited. Of course, if you all come, there won't be room. When KI will be one of a handful of synagogues in Los Angeles partnering with Jewish Family Service in Domestic Violence Awareness Shabbat. Well, my other passion for many years has been my concern for issues of juvenile justice and incarcerated youth. Now that I have the time, I've been visiting juveniles incarcerated at the Barry Nydorf Juvenile Detention Center in Silmar. The irony is that since the majority of those juveniles are, thankfully, not Jewish, the best way for me to get my badge as a volunteer on a regular basis was to join with my dear friend Javier Starring's volunteer group. Javier is the director of the Office of Restorative Justice of the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, so I kind of had to declare that I was part of Catholic Social Services to get my badge. See, all those years of working with interfaith couples really paid off. <laughs> Besides, you know what I've preached for years, that there is always more that unites us than there is that divides us. And when I sit with teenagers whose lives have been turned upside down by gangs or who dropped out of school and live in neighborhoods without hope. They don't care if I'm Catholic or Jewish or Hindu. What they need is simply a caring soul and a non-judgmental heart and an outstretched hand. I also had the pleasure this past year of marrying my niece, Natanya. Now, marrying family is perhaps the best perk of being a rabbi or a cantor. On June 24th, she gave birth to her new baby boy, and one of the names they gave him was Noah. Now think about it. It's 2015, and they gave their son one of the oldest names in the Torah. In fact, one of the oldest names in the world. Noah. A symbol of hope. Noah, who stood in a world surrounded by so much evil that even God despaired and regretted having created humanity in the first place. Of course, we all know the story. God decides to wipe out the whole human race, except... Noah, who had, in spite of his circumstances, chosen to be righteous anyway. Noah then became the living example for all time that no matter how much we are surrounded, as we seem to be today, by evil and hatred and intolerance and prejudice, ultimately the fate of the world itself always comes down to one person who can make a difference. And that one person is always you. And that one person is always me. Every single day, the quality of every relationship you have with your friends, your spouse, your partner at home or at work, your children, your boss, your subordinates, the stranger, the people you love to be with and the people you actually can't stand to be with, all of it is absolutely up to you and in your power because we really are all Noah. We all choose who we are by the choices we make, hopefully to do the right thing especially when the rest of the world seems to have gone crazy. Natanya had a baby. And in the face of 
So many who watch the news of suicide bombers and beheadings and lone wolf killers and hatred and violence, and yes, anti-Semitism rearing its ugly head once again across the globe, and who shake their heads and who say, I'd never bring a baby into this world. Natanya had a baby boy and named him Noah. In all our travels this year, in all our hiding this year, I've constantly been reminded that what makes us human in every country we visited, regardless of culture or language or color, is our infinite capacity for faith in the future. We face tragedy, collective and personal, and we go on anyway. We pick up the sometimes shattered or burnt pieces of our lives, and we, we take a breath and we go on. Speaking of good choices, did I mention that my lovely daughter Gable started her own nonprofit this year? It's called Free Love Animal Rescue. She spends enormous amounts of time rescuing cats and dogs of all kinds. She works her magic and she cleans them up and she takes them to the vet and she transforms them from a scruffy stray into a beautiful, healthy, adoptable pet. It's a sweet and beautiful mitzvah. And of course, I'm very proud of her. And yes, I've learned a lot about dogs since Gable started her rescue. Believe it or not, a shih tzu is a dog. I thought it was a zoo with no animals. I can get away with that, I'm retired. Ultimately, I realized uh, this year, I'm, I'm really pretty much just Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz. Everyone knows what was the greatest moment and what is possibly the greatest movie of all time. That poignant, powerful moment after experiencing magic and mystery and wonders beyond number is what? Dorothy clicks her heels three times and simply says, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. So here I am, home again. I've come full circle and finally realized that the things that matter most to me the same things that have always mattered most to me, the privilege of feeling that my life makes a difference in the lives of others. So recognizing how much I miss being surrounded by everybody and all of you, and especially kids, because kids are really where it's at and they're always our future. In fact, it's poignant, and I probably shouldn't admit it out loud, but um, I must have watched that JEC tribute video, My Retirement, singing my song, I'm Proud to Be a Jew, and saying, we're going to miss you, Rabbi Rubin, at least 50 or 60 or 70 times. <laughs> I know, get over it already, but, you know, I realize being a rabbi is just who I am, and I don't want to get over it, ever. So this year, with uh, Rabbi Bernstein's encouragement and blessing, I'm going to try something new. It's sort of a monthly Rabbi Rubin, once a month, teaching an adult class at KI, once a month, singing on the ECC on a Friday morning. Once a month, teaching Torah study, leading some Friday night services, of course, being part of whenever we have those three generations of KI rabbis programs and continuing to write my weekly Torah commentaries, which Amy sends out to all of you each week, along with her Torah study podcasts. And yes, I will continue to call on many of you to help in the crucial task of growing our endowment fund for the future to ensure KI's financial stability for many years to come. And as this adventure continues, we'll 
simply see if there are other roles that emerge. So you may have heard that story of the elderly Jewish man in Miami who called his son in New York and said, I hate to ruin your day, but I have to tell you that your mother and I are finally getting a divorce. 45 years of this misery is enough. The shocked son said, Dad, what are you talking about? The truth is, replied his father, we can't stand the sight of each other any longer. We're sick of each other, and frankly, I'm actually sick of talking about this, so you call your sister in Chicago and you tell her. And then the father hung up. Frantic, the son calls his sister, who exploded on the phone. This is not happening, she yells at her brother. I'll take care of it. So she calls her father immediately, and she yells at him. This is crazy. You are not getting divorced. Don't do a single thing until I get there. In fact, I'm going to call my brother, and we'll both be there tomorrow. Until then, don't do a thing. Do you hear me? The old man hung up the phone and sighed and called to his wife. Okay, they're coming for Rosh Hashanah. (laughs) But what are we going to tell them for Pesach? So it's good to be back with all of you for Rosh Hashanah. And yes, I'll probably see you for Pesach.